Do not merely listen to God's Word. Do what it says. You say, Pastor, you skipped something. Yes, I did. If you just listen to it and don't do what it says, you're just a deceived religious person. Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty straightforward. Well, Pastor, I, I love God, but I don't want to go to church. Well, then throw half the Bible away because the entire New Testament is talking about going to church and living for God. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Master. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. This year, regardless of what 2018 held, this year, this new year, and you don't have to wait until midnight tomorrow. You can start right now. Say, okay, God, driver's seat is yours. Yeah, but I don't know if I want to lose control of my life. It's the best thing that could happen to you. Let him have full control. A brand new beginning. I came to a simple truth many years ago. In this fast-paced world that we live in, and I put it on the screen because I, I think you need to grab it. We really don't have time for anything. How many work all day and you get off work and you get home and you feel like you're still working? How many ever went to bed at night and you worked all night while you slept? You got up the next morning tired. Don't look at me like that. I'm not the only one. In this fast-paced world, you see, our minds have been so geared to keep up with this fast-paced world. That's why God said, you got to let me in the driver's seat. Amen. Oh, it's not going to change the pace of the world, but it's going to change your pace. You don't want to miss next week, because I'm going to be talking about this. You say, well, preacher, what are you talking about right now? I'm talking about what I'm talking about. But next week, I'm going to be talking about what I'm talking about then. We don't have time for much of anything. Now, I understand that was no revelation in and of itself, but this is what was revealed to me. And I want you to hear it very simply. It's in your notes, and I want you to underline this in your notes. Would you take it? Open your notes up. Yes, I, I go through a lot of effort to put these notes together for you because I don't want you to leave here just saying, you know, I believe in what that preacher said. Later for believing what that preacher said. Believe what the Bible said. Okay, that's what these notes are for. You can go and study it yourself. This is, this is a portion of my notes 
so you can take them home and study them every week. Unless we have a guest speaker or unless I just get too tired, don't put them together that week, which virtually never happens. But in there, I want you to underline these words. The only time I would ever have is the time I make. The only time that I would ever have for anything is the time I make. You say, well, Pastor, I don't quite get it. Let me ask you a question. Anybody here like to fish? Okay, we got a few honest people. The rest of you I'll pray for. Can I tell you something? When it's time to go fishing, how many allow anything to stop it? Now, I know there's extenuating circumstances once in a while. But you will plan everything around that fishing trip or vacation or getaway or what. I'll tell you this. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to confess on myself. My wife and I get away every once in a while. And when we do, it's generally a place called Disneyland. Disneyland is a place I can go and unplug. Unplug. I get away, I unplug. I go there, I look all over the place. I say, well, Pastor, do you answer the phone if it calls? Yep. If I recognize the number. And then sometimes, depending on if I'm talking to Mickey at the time, I may let you go to voicemail. But I unplug. But let me, this is what I'm telling off on myself. I'm telling off, my wife and I usually leave on Sunday afternoons. At the beginning of altar call. Because I want to get there in time to be there Sunday night. Because Disney's usually open until midnight on Sunday. And I get there, and I walk in on Sunday night, just me and God and my wife. Thank you. <laughs> and Mickey. I love you, but I do not take you. I, folks, and almost nothing will stop me. You know what I've done? I've made the time. Say, well, Pastor, the church doesn't stop. That's right. We have an incredible assistant pastor. Come on. The church doesn't stop. Your needs don't stop. The situations don't stop. But what do I do? I put the brake on it. And I say, I have to stop. You say, Pastor, that's not, that's not right. Well, talk to Jesus about it. Even Jesus said, I'm getting away. I've just offended somebody. You're going to get away and leave me. Yes. You see that smile? And that's, folks, and, and I say that really tongue-in-cheek, kind of, sort of. But the only time that I have is the time that you have, and that's the time you make. Am I making sense? And if I don't make that time, 
whether it's fishing, whether it's vacation, whether it's uh, just a, a, a back porch staycation, wh whatever it is, I'm going to eat myself alive. Can somebody say amen? Let, let me tell you, in your notes, John Wesley, he lived in the 1700s. Virtually all of his travel on horseback, and it is recorded that he traveled some 225,000 miles, preached over 50,000 sermons, trained 750 pastors in England, another 350 in America, and still had time to write some 233 books all the way from healthcare to electricity. And John Wesley's philosophy is saying, I don't have time to be in a hurry. I have to make time. The only time that we'll ever have, I'm reiterating this because I want you to grab it, is the time we make. We make time for all kinds of things in our life. And we have to do that if we expect to accomplish anything. I have to make time to have a good marriage. I have to make time to be a good pastor. I have to make time to take care of all kinds of situations. And this is the same thing that you and I have to do. Yet, and I want to, I want to launch from this thought, yet the greatest time that we'll ever have is the time we make for Jesus. The Bible tells me that the greatest thing that I can do is spend time in God's Word and prayer. It doesn't say the greatest time I can do is spend time in counseling, time in the church building, time, and I'm talking about the pastor. I'm talking about those that God has called to lead His people. He says, spend time in my Word and in prayer if you want to take them into my presence. Now I want you to look in your Bibles. It's on the screen, but I want you to look in your Bibles in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Look what it says here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers. I urge you, brothers. You can put slash sisters. I urge you in view of God's mercy. What a great thing to put there. He said, I want you to understand this. God's been pretty merciful to you. How many could look at somebody and say, yep, he's talking about me? God has been very merciful. And look what he says. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, and I want you to underline these three or four words, to offer your bodies. You can take that word body and put a line through it, and you can put the word life there. To offer your life as a living sacrifice. That's one of those phrases that we, what the heck is a living sacrifice? Well, we know what a dead sacrifice is. You kill something, you put it out there. You know, I, I like to go to this one sacrificial place called the Texas Roadhouse. And I put a, I put a sacrifice of T-bone in front of me or ribeye. Or porterhouse. Man, Hensley, I'm getting hungry. I, I lay it right out there. 
And I tell you what, we have a great time. That's a dead sacrifice. And I tell you what, I enjoy every bit of that sacrifice. But God says, present your body, offer your body, offer your life as a living sacrifice. The difference between that sacrifice and you is if the things get too tough, you can get up and get away. When things get too rough, you can get off that altar. You can walk, I'm, God, I'm done. And you know what? God won't say anything. He said, okay, it's your life. That's why he said, offer it. Once again, just like that door has no knob on it, God can't force anyone to do anything. If we want 2019 to be the same as 2018, just do the same thing. See, some man said a uh, long, long time ago, it ain't good English, but it's good preaching. If you always do what you always done, you'll always get what you always got. Not good English, is it, Judy? But it's good preaching. If you want 2019 to be the same as 2018, just do what you did in 2018. You say, Pastor, I didn't do something, nothing. Case settled. You see, to get better, you got to do something. Offer your body a living sacrifice. In other words, no matter what God challenges you, encourages you, draws from you, stay there. Don't run away. And then I love the way it ends. Holy. Holy. Underline that word holy in your notes, would you? Holy. That word holy, we say, my Lord, how can I live holy? I can't live... Holy isn't what you think it is. It doesn't mean pure. It doesn't mean, or it, does, it doesn't mean pure. But it doesn't mean without blemish or, or problem or difficulty. Holy simply comes from the Greek word that means set apart for God. Remember the guy on the bicycle? He said, I, I'm not sure exactly when it happened, but sometime in the journey I switched places and I let God have full control. You know what he said? He said, I now set God, my life is yours. I set it apart for your glory. I set it apart. And you know what that is? Pleasing to God. And then I love, and I put in parentheses, because when you look up the phraseology of this is your spiritual act of worship, in the Greek, the phraseology says this is the least you can do. He died for you. The least you could do is live for him. Oh, somebody's going to get that before the end of the service. Therefore, hence, or further to, we come to the next passage. Do not merely listen to God's word. Do what it says. You say, Pastor, you skipped something. Yes, I did. If you just listen to it and don't do what it says, you're just a deceived religious person. P pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty straightforward. Oh, Pastor, I, I love God, but I don't want to go to church. Well, then throw half the Bible away. Because the entire New Testament is talking about going to church and living for God. Well, I love God, but I, you know, those Christians, I tell you what, we'll throw half the Bible away. 
The Bible says you can't love me who you haven't seen if you can't love those who you do see. See, Pastor, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to make next year different than last year. We've got to get off our little idea that this is, you know, bless God, I'm in charge. Give me chapter and verse. The Bible says that you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. Now, folks, that there is good preaching. That's what God's Word tells us. You say, well, Pastor, why, why, are you, why are you saying? Because, folks, I want 2019 to be different. You say, Pastor, I did all of this in 2018. Well, then you've got a heck of a 19 coming then. You know why? Just like that guy on the bicycle, you might have been giving stuff away. God said, I've got a whole lot more to give you because you cannot outgive God. Can somebody say amen in God's house? If we want this new year to be successful, we're going to have to make some room for God. So let's jump into this really quick. I'm going to let you out of here before the Baptists get out to the restaurants. I'm sorry if you're a Baptist here, please forgive me. That's just an old joke. I pastored my first church in Texas, and, and they, they told me when I first started pastoring, said, son, we've got a lot of Baptists around here. And if you want to get to church, to restaurants before them, you better do it short and sweet or you won't have any place to seat. I'm going to take my time anyway, but I just thought I'd throw that out there, okay? Look at number one in your notes. You know what happened 2,000 years ago? The disciples made room for Jesus. All of Israel was waiting for the Messiah. Do you know, as we talked about last week, the 700-year the, the prophecy, multitudes knew it was coming to pass. The problem was, is even though they knew he was coming, they didn't change their life. They didn't make room for him to show up. It's just like his return, not his second coming. His second coming happens at the end of the tribulation period. The return is called the rapture. When Jesus Splits that eastern sky, that trumpet sounds, and the only people that see him are the ones that made room for him. Those looking for him. Those anticipating his return and living their life accordingly. You see, all of Israel was waiting for Messiah to come. But when he showed up, none were prepared to give him room, except a few shepherds, some wise men, and ultimately... 30 years later, 12 men. And Jesus walked along the shore of Galilee, outside of the city of Capernaum. He walked along the shore and he said two words, follow me. Follow me. Now listen to me, this is going to step on a toe or two, but that's okay. Say, Pastor, you irritate people. That's a gift God has given me. And the reason I irritate is because I propagate the only thing that can decimate hell and disseminate into heaven. And that's God's word. Okay? So, l listen to me. He said, follow me. And you know what happened? They didn't go pray about it. I got four amens out of that. 
They didn't go say, I need to go take care of mama and daddy or son or daughter or family or friends. Jesus said, follow me. And listen to this. At a moment's notice, they dropped everything. You say, well, if God told me to follow him, I would do that too. We're going to talk about that in a minute. See, too many of us are trying to fit God into our schedule. When God says, set apart, holy, present your body as an offering, set apart. I don't think it's about God fitting into my schedule. I think it's about me rescheduling for God. See, each of these disciples were well adapted to their own lifestyle. Each of them had already hewn out their niche in life, and they were very successful. But you know what happened? Jesus came and totally interrupted their hopes, their future, their dreams, their desires. What was the key phrase of all of those terms? The key word, there. You see, every one of us have hopes. Every one of us have dreams. Every one of us have desires. Every one of us have a future planned out. But if God is not the center of that, we literally don't have a destiny prepared for God's glory. You see what God does? And it's on the screen. And I want you to, I want you to underline these words. He interrupted. Look at, look at this. He interrupted the now with then. He interrupted right where you are right now and said, this is where I want to get you to then. But I got to do some things between now and then. Pastor Jules, the only one that said amen right there. I just, am I making sense? Maybe, should I throw this sermon away and start over? Okay, good. I wasn't going to. I just thought I'd ask. They say it's polite to ask, so I'm asking. Pastor Ray, how am I doing? Okay. okay good. He interrupted. Say that word with me. Interrupted. You know when you interrupt something, that means you don't ask permission. What do you, what do you think, Casey? Would this be a good time to interrupt your life? Are you, are you okay? I know you've got other plans and other schedules, dreams, hopes, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, you Okay. See, God don't do that. He just says, I'm knocking. Well, God, don't you know I got dinner plans? I'm knocking. God, I got a date. I'm knocking. God, I'm going fishing. I'm knocking. Some hearts in this room, he's been knocking a long time. And we got all of our plans. All of our plans. He just keeps knocking. He's not a gentleman. He's, he's a gentleman, folks. He's not going to just bust the door down. He's going to say, when, when are you going to make room for me? When are you going to? I wish I had something to knock on. Can somebody give me a knocking sound effect? I get a bunch of guys out there grabbing their heads. Here we go, knock right there. <laughs> you notice the girls didn't do that. It was just the guys. Yeah, I, I got it. I got it. 
He interrupted the now with then, the here with there, the what was with, you know what can be? Can you hear him knocking? He said, I know where you've been. That's okay. But I got plans to get you where you want to go. Because you say, well, Pastor, how does he know? Because he wrote it on your heart. He said, I interrupted the what was with what can be. He literally interrupted the temporal with the eternal. And you know what? The disciples made room. They dropped everything. Now listen, it wasn't an easy task. There were many questions, many things that they did not understand. But let me, let me say this. I put this in your notes. Two words, even more. Scripture tells us there was lots of things they didn't understand until after the resurrection. And that is just like you and me. I or we will not understand many things that God wants until we allow Jesus to be resurrected in the heart of our lives, until we make room for him. Disciples dropped everything. Folks, understand, they dropped their entire livelihood. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Think about how dad felt. James and John, two of his main boys. Dad, we got some different fish to catch. Bye. <laughs> Didn't think about it. Didn't even meditate on it. Jesus said, follow me. Can I tell you something? Some of us have not responded so long that our heart starts getting calloused. Our heart starts getting indifferent. You, you don't want to miss this Wednesday night. We're talking about the churches of Revelation, the seven churches, and we got into the church of Sardis and, and went into the church of Pergamos. Hopefully this next week we're going to get into the church of Thyatira. Okay, and, and then as we continue on in the church of Philadelphia and finally uh, Laodicea. But there's things that we have to understand that if God keeps drawing... And we keep saying, not now. That's why the Bible says, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation, if you will hear his voice. You say, well, pastor, I've been listening. Have you been? If you will, that means you have to make a conscious effort to do something. You want 2019 different than 2018? You have to make a conscious effort. Ladies and gentlemen, long before the disciples, I think we ought to get excited at the fact that Mary and Joseph made room for Jesus. You see, what, what with Mary, you've you got to put the other screen up. Yeah, there you go. There's something we have to understand. What, what most miss, I believe, is what I call the obvious. We think that Mary giving birth to the Lord was the most wonderful blessing imaginable. Some religions think her so special, they gave her special status in the kingdom of God. But it was the birth of Jesus that brought forth the greatest blessing as well as the greatest struggle. Now think about it for a second. Don't change screens. Leave it there. 
Think about it for a second. Nine months pregnant, she's tooling across the desert. 70 to 90 miles, depending on which route they took from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Nine months pregnant. She's riding a donkey. And then all of a sudden, Joseph takes her to the lap of luxury, an animal's stable. I'm not thinking that Mary's thinking this is really good yet. Now let me add to the package. The very first person that shows up after the birth of Jesus is a prophet by the name of Simeon and a prophetess by the name of Anna. Simeon comes to Mary. Understand Simeon is blind and he comes to Mary and he says, now I see the consolation of the Lord. Now I see the promised Messiah. And look what he said in Luke chapter 2. He looked at Mary and said, a sword will pierce your soul also. Prophesying what was going to happen at Calvary some three and a half years later. Now think about it. We don't see a whole lot of Jesus' birth. Matter of fact, verse 38 is when the passage I just talked about ends. You know, three passages later, it talks about Jesus getting lost. He wasn't lost. He knew exactly where he was. But Mary and Joseph didn't know where he was. Three chapters later, or three verses later, excuse me, from verse 38 to 41. You know the whole picture of the 12 years of Jesus? He grew in wisdom and stature before the Lord. There's 12 years. Doesn't give us a lot. But the reality is 12 years old, it was the day where they were uh, a Jewish boy went from childhood to manhood, the bar mitzvah. That's why they were there. Jesus became a man in Jewish tradition and Jewish culture. And all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph, because of the big party and the big entourage, they went to celebrate Jesus becoming a man. So excited were they when they left Jerusalem, it wasn't until three days later when they saw he was missing. So they turned around and said, I think we forgot something. And they went back to Jerusalem. And they searched everywhere for Jesus. And you know where they found him? At church. They found him at church. I, it always amazes me. So many people, oh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Right? Generally, you won't stay a Christian if you don't go to church. But that's another story. So they find Jesus in church. What's he doing? He's preaching to all the people that should be preaching to him. Why? Folks, he had a good handle on the word because he is the word. And so he is preaching to them, and they were all amazed. But look at this. Twelve years old, they broke his heart. Their hearts were broke. Mary's heart was broke when they could not find him. Now let's jump up. Eighteen years. The marriage of Cana. Mary is figuring Jesus really is who he said he was. He really is God's only son. Now, we don't get the picture, ladies and gentlemen, of what happens between birth and 12. We don't get the picture of what happens between 12 and 30. 
But we do get the understanding in the book of John, chapter 21, that if all the things that Jesus had done was written down, this boggles my mind always, the world itself couldn't contain the books written. I think Jesus was pretty busy from birth to the grave. So look, look at the picture here. The marriage of Cana, the, the master of the feast says, we're out of wine. And immediately Mary turns to Jesus. Why do you think Mary turned to Jesus? Do you think she might have saw some things in this boy's life? Do you think she might have saw some things? Can, can, let me tell you something. You know why she saw things? Because Jesus said, I did not come to be served, I came to serve. He said, I did not come to do my will, I came to do the will of the one who sent me. Can I tell you something? Jesus, his whole life, was the room of God prepared for you. He said, I'm not going to tell you how to live. I'm going to show you how to live. And so he did that. He showed them how to live. And there in John chapter 2, we find that, that Jesus was approached by Mary. And it's kind of, we look at the passage and we say, you know, he, he says, woman, what do, I, what do I have to do with you? Now, the translations are kind of interesting. And that is what it says. But in the literal translation, it says, what does this have to do with us? What does this... Big deal, they're out of wine. And that matters why? But immediately, Mary knew who to go to. And then, can I tell you what happened? That is probably one of the best scriptures in all of the Bible. And I'm going to give that scripture to you. You can find it there in John chapter 2. You know what it is? When Jesus said... Woman, what do I have to do with you? And then she turned to the disciples after Jesus told them. And he, she said these words. Listen to it. Write in your notes. Whatever he says to do, do. Folks, whatever his word says to do, do. You want 18 to be better than 19? Stop making it about you. What you want, what you feel, what you like. Whatever he says to do, do. Man, that is worth the whole morning. In Matthew 12 and 13, we see a couple tough things, again, regarding Mary. Pastor, why are you talking about this? Because there's, a, there's some religions in the world that put Mary into this unapproachable deityship. All Mary was was a vessel that God used. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. She was a virgin before birth and never a virgin again. And look at this. In Matthew 12 and Matthew 13, it says when Jesus' when Jesus's brothers and sisters show up, the disciples say, your mother and brothers are outside. And you know, see Jesus' response in Matthew 12? Who are my mother 
and brothers, except those who do the will of my Father. Another place in Luke or in Matthew 13, it talks about, is this not the carpenter's son? And are not his brothers and sisters among us? See, God's word's very clear about who this Jesus is and who Mary is. But I say all of this because we think being the mother of the Savior has to be some supernatural, glorious thing. Supernatural it was, but that was all. God brought his son into the world through a virgin. But never once did Mary be recognized by Jesus as his mother, as in a child-mother relationship. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 11, the Bible says that a bunch of women said, Oh, blessed is the woman that bore you. Oh, blessed is the woman that nursed you. And you know what Jesus' response was? No. More blessed are those who hear my word and do it. Mary's greatest words ever spoken, whatever he says, do. Even at Calvary to try to bring a picture of a healing heart. Jesus, some of his last words, looked at Mary and looked at the beloved disciple John, and he said, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. You know what Jesus was doing? He was giving her the son that he never was because he is God's son, only son, not Mary's. Are you okay today? Yeah. Pastor, why are you doing that? Folks, we are coming into a time in this world to where there is going to be every kind of deception imaginable. And this, this Mary worship is going to get exacerbated. And it is, it is going to be something that we have to understand very clear where things are coming. Can somebody say amen? Amen. The greatest blessing of Mary was also the source of her greatest conflict. She knew Jesus came to die, not to live. And I can guarantee that is a picture she never looked forward to. But you know what Mary did? She made Jesus. She made room for Jesus. What you see is the picture of a Christian life. Living for Jesus will produce the greatest blessing, but it will also produce the greatest struggle. You see, as a Christian, all of hell and the world is against you. Everything is against you. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, those that give their life to Jesus will suffer persecution. But let me conclude this, 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 this thing about Mary by saying these words. Many ask, why did God choose Mary and not somebody else? The answer is very simple. I want you to hear this. Many years before, Mary made room for Jesus by living a holy, a consecrated, a sanctified life. Literally, a life set apart for him. For God to do whatever God wanted. See, that's one of the reasons that the Bible emphasizes the fact that she was a virgin because not everyone unmarried was. 
She set her life apart. She made room for Jesus long before. Most people would live, and it's on the screen, a clean and pure life if God audibly spoke to them and they knew that God had great plans for them. Well, ladies and gentlemen, God did speak to you, and it's in His Word, and He says, I want you to live, to set your life apart, holy, acceptable, pleasing unto God, which is the least that you can do. She was a common girl that decided to live an uncommon life, and her lifestyle paid off. The Bible says that the angel of God, Gabriel, showed up to Mary and said, you are highly favored of God. Literally, we sit down and try to make that super spiritual. You know, all that literally is saying, God has great plans for you, Mary, because you chose to live a chaste lifestyle God has made room for you in the annals of history. Can somebody say amen? amen? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Look on the screen one more time. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, in go you want 19 to be better than 18? In view of God's mercy, it's time to offer your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, pleasing to God. Set your life apart and say, God, it's you and me, babe. Well, what happens if it upsets people? Bye. What happens if, if people walk away? Bye. What, what would happen if I lose friends? Were they friends? What, what, what happens if people don't like this new beginning of mine? Okay, listen to me. I should have him turn the camera off, but I won't because the whole world needs to hear this. What happens if they don't like it? Are you ready? Listen. 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 They won't. They won't. They won't. They won't. They won't. I remember reading. D.L. Moody, this young guy got saved. And, and he came to D.L. Moody. And he said, what, what am I going to do? Do I have to give up my friends? He said, no. If you live a ringing testimony for Jesus, they will soon give you up. <laughs> you don't have to give up anything. But be rest assured, they will give you up. Now, a couple things. Understand, the only room that God will ever have is the room we make. Now, I, I want to inject this here right now because there's some sitting in this room say, Pastor, I, I don't think God wants my house. I have messed it up bad. I have messed it up with, with, you know, with living an immoral life. I have messed it up with drugs. I have messed it up with alcohol. I have messed it up with fill in the blank. Can I tell you something? Your prior lifestyle does not disqualify you 
if you now want to make room for Jesus. You may sit here and you say, my life is just so bad. How could God possibly use you? Well, let me show you a little video of what God does when you make room for him. Would you play it up there, Chris? See which one of these you might fit in. And change some things. Set things straight. I wish I had a do-over. I've made choices. I've lost out. I've wished a thousand times I could go back and try again. It's hard not to imagine what might have been. If I had just stopped to think. If I had just done as I was told. If I hadn't thought I knew it all. Why didn't I just take a few deep breaths? Took one second to listen. Maybe my life would be better. Maybe there wouldn't be such a high price to pay. Things would be different now. I wouldn't have so many regrets. But is everything lost? Can I just get a do-over? Is there a way back to new beginnings? Because regret can mean a new beginning. When it's given to the one who produces a repentance. A repentance that delivers me from my grief. The one who takes my mistakes. And somehow redeems me through them. Who tells me I'm not the sum total of all my regrets? He tells me not to look back. Because there's nothing there to see. I am not my mistakes. He is faithful and just to forgive me. I just have to ask him. And then I can look straight forward. Forget what is behind me. And strain towards what is ahead. And walk away with all regrets erased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every day I'm given a clean slate. A clean slate? I get a clean slate. It doesn't matter what you were. What matters is what are you right now? What do you want to be? God will start all over again. In the Bible, we read stories about a person named Rahab. Rahab was a harlot, a prostitute. We read stories about a woman named Ruth. There's a book in the Bible called Ruth about this woman. She was an idolater. You ever heard of somebody called Bathsheba? Solomon's mother, David's wife. She was an adulteress. Folks, all three of these ones I just listed are in the lineage of Christ. What am I saying? If you will make room, it doesn't matter what has knocked you down. God will bring life. Do you have that picture for me, Chris? Look at this tree. You see the roots? Totally knocked over. Probably as a young sapling. Did it stop growing? Years ago it fell. But it never gave up on life. Can I tell you, you may have fell yesterday. You may have fell last week. You may have fell this morning. But if you don't give up, God will lift you up. And God will keep you growing up. 
Will you make room for him to do what he wants to do? Let me add something that we so often miss. Mary's husband, Joseph. Could you imagine the difficulty and the dilemma? Most scholars call him the forgotten Joseph. You see, the birth of Jesus was also his greatest blessing and his greatest struggle. His fiancé, fiancé, fiancé. That's the more that southern language of mine right there. His fiancé got pregnant. He knew the child wasn't his. What was he supposed to do? But look what the Bible says. Joseph was a just man. Matthew chapter 1. Like Mary, he made room for God. He made room for God to do in his life. He stood righteous. That's what the word just means. He stood righteous before the Lord. He, and he was not willing to make a public example of her. You know what the Bible says? Because of what Mary done, they should have took him out in public. They should have stoned her to death. And Joseph said, uh-uh, ain't happening. Matter of fact, could you imagine when he stood up and said, it's my wife, it's my child. And they all knew it wasn't. Could you imagine the mockery and the humiliation that Joseph must have had to face? Even before Gabriel told him what was going on, Mary or Joseph was going to do right and protect Mary. And look what happened. When the angel showed up, Joseph said, I'm all in. Joseph's obedience exemplified that he made room for Jesus. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when we simply do what God says without reservation, it shows we're making room for Jesus. Let me wrap this up quickly this morning. All of these, <laughs> I'm working on it, Hensley. You know what every one of these folks did? The next screen, please. You know what all these folks did? They purposed in their lives to do God's will. They said, I I'm done with my will. Nothing personal will. <laughs> Will's will is not done with God's will. Will's will wants to do God's will. The disciples, Mary, Joseph, they all looked for the Redeemer. They were not just playing church. They were not just going to church. They were looking for Jesus in their church, in their lives, not just a fancy sermon. They made time, outwardly and inwardly. And in doing this, when Jesus showed up, at a moment's notice, they were ready to say, I'm not doing that. I'm going this way. I'm following Jesus. You see, it's through obedience to God's word and the Spirit's leading that enables us to make room for Jesus. I've had people say, well, how do I know? How do I know? You already know. You know. You've got that check inside. You say, well, that, that, that's not a, that's not a, exactly what it is. It's God trying to say, hey, stop looking this way or that way. Get your eyes focused on me. You see, if we allow ourselves to get bogged down with the cares of life, entangled in search for our wants, our desires, our ambitions, literally our kingdom, which is what it is when we want what we want, 
then we'll get weighed down with hidden agendas and we'll never have room for Jesus. As the worship team comes, I want you to think about this for a moment. What condition would your life be in if you hadn't gave it to Jesus? You're a saved here. You're a Christian here. What would your life be like if you hadn't got saved? Have you ever thought about that for a minute? Now think about what your life could be if you just simply pulled down that no vacancy sign to Jesus and hung it out for the world. No vacancy. No vacancy. Today, many are too busy to give Jesus foremost in their lives. Remember I talked last week about the innkeeper. I've, I've often wondered over the years, was the inn really full or was the innkeeper's heart just full of something else? I don't know. Is there really no room or time for Jesus in your life? And if not, is it only because your heart's full of something else? What are you giving room for? Because what you give room for, I don't care what God wants to do. If you don't make a decision, God, it's you and you only. And unless you fly me this way or fly me that way or direct me this way or direct me that way, I'm just keeping my eyes focused on heaven. It was C.S. Lewis that said, it was exactly when we started thinking the least about the next world that we started doing the least in this world. There are too many that have too little time for the things of God because they've made little time for the things of God, which is why we get distracted and detoured and frustrated and aggravated. That's why last year will be a repeat this year unless we do something about it today. We get preoccupied by business, or should I say busyness, overcome by what I call the tyranny of the urgent, weighed down by priorities that are not God. See, all these things, whether business or play, are things that we've made room for. And the sad reality is in that day, in that day, will our heart be too full that when Jesus comes again, that we like they will miss him? See, the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, will he even find faith? on the earth. If we make no room for him today, there'll be no room for him to do on that day.
Pastor Tim Masters, with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harden. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.